0: So welcome. Um, So welcome to everyone who's going to eventually tune in. And we stream this on over to um, to anchor also FM, which is a podcast streaming service as well. So this is the 20 and 20 co-working edition where we ask 20 questions in 20 ish minutes. Um, We're going to probably go 25, 30 minutes. Jenny, I generally have incredibly inspiring people like yourself on here who have a lot of goodness, valuable information to gush to all of our listeners. And so we'll, we'll keep it tight, but we might go a little over 20 minutes. Um, the intention is to leave people feeling uplifted, informed, and of course, inspired. I'm your host, Lisa Skyhame, And in this particular edition of 20 and 20, during the month of June, I'm connecting with industry experts, operators, vendors, and of course, most importantly, the people who help us to pay our bills, our members. Um, we're going to learn how together we will weather this storm. Coworking has been around for a, a decade or so as a coined term. Office space, executive suites, of course, have been around 30, 40 years. I'm a big believer that coworking will survive and ultimately thrive because companies, large and small, will want to have the flexible terms that we offer. Um, and how we get there and how soon we get there, of course, remains to be seen. So Jenny, of course, is an expert on this topic because she's the founder and CEO of Cohoots. <laughs> In Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me, Lisa.
0: Yes. So you are a few things about you first before I jump into my first questions. Uh, you are a former art director. You're a creative director. You are a graphic artist. I mean, you really have a a a graphic arts background. You're also the founder and creator of Eco Studio, which is a Phoenix-based design and branding boutique committed to working with businesses large and small who are hell-bent, as you say, on having a positive impact on their community. Um, And it really feels that way, by the way, as that work that you've done with ECO translates to the work that you do with Cohoots. I really felt that in, in all of the research I did in your feed Um, You launched Cohoots back in 2010, so it's been a decade. I'm sure you've learned a few things. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You're ranked number four most – number four co-working space in the U.S. by Inc.com and number one most innovative co-working space in the world. You're also the board chair of Cohoots Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. And another couple of interesting things about you, you were named Phoenix Business Journal 2016 – Phoenix Business Person of the Year, you were the first minority and first woman. Woohoo! go girl. Yes, totally. <laughs> Flex those muscles. It took muscles to get there, for sure. Um, you're an automation nut. You spend your day thinking about how to streamline work. I love it. So uh, an automation uh, hacker, so to speak. And you graduated from college. Hey there, Ada. You graduated from college only to realize that you never did. What does that mean? You graduated from college only to learn you never did.
1: So I went to the University of Minnesota, and uh, there was a good period where I, I went and taught and, and learned in China. I did a study abroad program, and I came back and finished all my courses. I, I walked. I got the, I got the um, what do they even call that now? The diploma, the di- cap and gown? The cap and gown. I got the cap and gown. I walked, you know, they give you the fake diploma as you walk. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job in California. I moved to California. And um, a month into my move, I got an email from the university and they said, hey, why haven't you registered for your courses this next semester? And um, we're still expecting you. And I wrote back and I said, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, you're still five credits short of your degree. You still have this is kind of ridiculous. You still have Chinese to complete. And I'm, I'm Chinese, I'm, I'm, <laughs> my, my family is Chinese and I lived in China for a year and some change um, and did a study abroad program. Well, apparently one of the um, programs or one of the courses that I took while out there didn't transfer over and I double majored and um, Chinese is one of the requirements for both of my majors, but I was already in California so I couldn't come back to take the class again. And they only had a few periods out of the year that said um, that you were allowed to test out of the program. And I could just never find the time to make it back. But I did, after 10 years, being um, from a very Asian family and my mom calling me every single day to say, when are you going to finish this degree? Um, I found time 10 years later to take this uh, accelerated Chinese class, the last five credits that I needed, and eventually got that degree. But it was pretty disappointing, because when they mailed that degree, All it had was my name and a Bachelor of Arts title on it. It didn't say like what what actual degree I got. It didn't say um it really didn't say anything. And I was like, that's that's what all that was for. Oh my (laughs) god. What was the point? Was the was the
0: last course in uh in Chinese difficult?
1: It was. It was the hardest thing I've ever done because can you imagine going back to school after ten years and I just, I was so ready to be done with school and to have to go back and be around all of these very like young spirited people. Um, But 10 years later, it 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 was kind of painful. And the conversations all came back to me really quickly. Like the conversations about having only $2 in your bank account and like not being able to go out on the weekend or actually partying all weekend. Like those kinds of things, 10 years later when you're kind of stabilized in your career was was a painful experience, and I did not do well in that class by any means. It was the worst grade I've ever had, and also the most painful learning experience that I've ever had because I I just was not in that mindset anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh!
0: But you finished. That's the goal. I finished. You got that piece of paper. <laughs> also, so let's jump into some of my questions I have for you, shall we? Sure. Um, On top of a global pandemic, uh, the fight against racism, the cry for criminal justice reform right now, the amplification of black and minority voices in our country is louder than it's ever been before because of social media, because of the access to information that we have. Um, you and your husband, in a recent Instagram video, you sat down. Uh, he's your co-founder at Cohoots. You talked about advocating for justice and working with individuals and businesses and learning how to advocate in times like these. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this message that you sent?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> it was it was a hard message to record and and share with our community, but it was definitely a needed one. Um, we and it it hit me. Pretty close to home because my I'm from Minnesota um, and my parents are small business owners and have had this restaurant that's in downtown Minneapolis for the last 30, 40, almost forty years um, and so they were they were seeing the protests right in front of their front doors right um, they had to board up their restaurant and they had to they had to navigate around everything that was happening and they've also seen a lot of those things right like they've seen the the racism that exists. Um, they're immigrants, refugees from Vietnam. And so we've kind of always lived around there, lived in that, in that space and operated in that space. And I've always, like I come from a very diverse family too, because they were refugees, we were sponsored, um, by a family in Minnesota that sponsored several other refugees. And so I have, I have a Mexican, I have a Mexican aunt and a black aunt and a black, um, uncle, right. That's a part of our, our white Midwestern family. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm always used to being in this allyship space and, um, and that's, you know, you can see it throughout the organizations that we run and that was, that was part of what, like, brought all of this together on that day it was thinking about, like, how do we <clears throat> as an organization use our voice to help share this message, right? Um, and we've been doing it for a while and it's, it's hard to compete with these big organizations that now are jumping on, the bandwagon, but that's not really what it's about, right? And we're trying to think, how do we be authentic in this and not not jump on the bandwagon that everybody else is jumping on? This has been work that we've been doing for a long time. Our community knows this is work that we've been doing, like supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion for a really long time. And so we put that message out, not so much for like the people that have known about us for a long time, but for the people that are just awakening to the message, right? Um, that. I think for a long time have, have silenced that voice um, in the community and now are just suddenly now hearing it. Um, I think a lot of our community can quickly like push that, push those people down and say, where have you been? Um, and that's true, there's anger there that needs to be addressed. But for us, I think we sit in the space of like, no matter what, <clears throat> what stage you are on this social justice journey, like we want to support you in moving to the next step right and there are things you can do whether that be small or large um to move the needle forward for people of color um and specifically brown and black people right there's definitely huge systemic things that need to be addressed there but there's also things that you can do individually and so that's that's where we kind of started is like we can we can talk about this as much as as you wanna talk about it, but what are we actually tactically going to do? And so that was the opening to, we're committed to this. We're more committed than ever to like supporting a more equitable ecosystem for specifically our entrepreneurs and our businesses um, within the community and across the nation. But what what are the steps that we're going to take? And that was the opening to it. And following that, we've said, okay, We're going to use our voice and we're going to amplify black voices and so we've gone and we've partnered with the black chamber and then brought in a bunch of our partners um the asian chamber the the local first organization that's here that represents um small businesses cplc which is a hispanic organization and said can we all come together and elevate black voices right because one of my friends said this really well she said um this is the importance of allyship right like Black voices, black voices have been talking about this forever. It's not new to them. This issue is definitely not new. If anything, they're so numb to the <clears throat> to the murder that's happening on a daily basis that when they speak about it, we like 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 ads that come into our feed. We just ignore them, right? Um, and it's happened for so long that it's become a natural instinct for so many of us. And so when you shift. And you use other people to elevate those voices. now more people are actually going to listen, right so can we do that can we Can we use what we 've built to just shift that shift that power? So we built a campaign with the black chamber um, with the Asian Chamber, and Asian Chamber has been um, Helping Asian businesses for the last uh, how long? However long COVID started since March mm-hmm. um, to elevate Asian businesses because they've been really affected. People have been boycotting Asian businesses, thinking that Asian businesses brought COVID into this into the U.S. Um, and so uh, somehow uh, that has happened. But so this the Asian Chamber had been focusing on how do we elevate Asian businesses so that they can continue to sustain. And now um, together, we, it, they've taken that that vehicle and shifted it towards Black-owned black, black owned businesses. And mm-hmm. we work in that space too. And so we've come together and the Asian Chamber is going out and doing all the footage. The We're coming in and we're helping write all the scripts and social media posts for this, essentially this huge campaign. And we're asking the Black Chamber to post it to start. And all we do is we just reshare the crap out of it so that everybody's going to the black chamber as its source and it's coming out of a black chamber's mouth, but we're just, we're just expanding that view. Um, So we're working on things like that. And I think that can happen in any community, right? Like the point is not having us be the, be the center of it. The point is to give it to the black chamber and they might not have the resources to run something like that, but we can donate our services and its support for that. The second thing we're working on, and I guess this will be, the announcement of it, um, because we haven't actually shared it publicly, is we're working on a national like resource center for um, businesses, entrepreneurs, businesses, and organizations that want to start making tactical steps forward in being a more equitable organization, right? Um, yeah. Having a more inclusive mindset. And there's tons of contractors and experts in the community that have been doing this work forever. Um, but... It's not it's not organized and aggregated in a central database where people can pull and choose and find what they need. Yeah. Traditionally, for an organization to start making these steps, they usually go out and they hire uh, a contractor that can help them create a strategy for how do you talk to your employees, how do you bring out those voices, how do you make decisions based off of that that community, um, and and really listen, um, and and it requires an outside voice because. Traditionally, like you in t- inside of an organization don't know how to do that. And, but it requires also this partnership between somebody in your organization and an outside source because you know your organization and you know the challenges within your organization. Sure. And so it's this marrying of two um, strategies, right? Like an internal strategy and an external strategy to make this change. Traditionally, mm-hmm. that's how culture change happens, right? Um, in a larger organization. In a smaller organization, the leadership is really the key piece that makes that change, um, but all of the frameworks and tools and um, and philosophies around this are in books and in in podcasts and some of it is just an organization thought, hey, this we're not doing this well. Let's try this this idea that I had and it works and they keep they keep moving in that manner. Um, but it's all like isolated, siloed across the nation, and there's so much great learning that could be had if it was brought together. So what if you in your organization in California, um, you know, had had this process for recruiting talent that really worked for you and a similar organization in in New York said, I'm struggling with the same problem. I'm a similar organization. We have the same kind of um, structure. Could Could I learn from that versus trying to make up my own policies and processes um, again, so that our hope is, is there, able to aggregate.
0: Is there a name for the initiative
1: yet? Um, right now, I'm calling it Equity Now. Um, okay. So you can move Love forward, it. and really, it's about tactical things you can do, right? And I've yeah. seen it. I'm sure everybody's Facebook posts have blown up, or their feed has blown up around this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what can I do? Um, and the response has been, read this blog article, listen to the podcast, read yep. this book, right? Like start internally. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely true. Yep. But then when you start expanding that and making that shift, you need true tactics outward, right? Yep. How do you bring your team together? What are the words you use to start that conversation? The um, in-action.
0: That's what I'm hearing is yep. the in action, you know, and, and the distinction that I heard also is that, you know, you said, you don't want to just jump on a bandwagon, so to speak, you want to be we want there to be true allyship. And so I have this sort of visualization of like almost linking arm in arm so that you are coming together with other business owners to be a force as part of the solution, you know, and to be in action rather than sort of jumping on a wagon
1: behind others,
0: so to speak. It's
1: it's literally pushing people forward or being in front of them to be a barrier for any danger that might come up. Right. So side by side, behind pushing forward or in front as, as a, as a guard, right, Um, to support. Awesome.
0: Well, congratulations on that. Equity Now. I love the name of it, too. Shall we talk about co-working a little bit? Sure. (laughs) My first question for you about co-working is how did you end up launching a co-working business 10 years ago? Because you were really really on the forefront. You know, I was with WeWork in the very beginning. You know, I was their second employee. I opened their first two locations
1: in New York City. Holy moly,
0: yeah. And so that's how I had my initial uh, inspiration. And... And because people ask me all the time, how did you end up launching your own co-working business? And, but back then, you know, co-working as a, as a term was really about people working together in a large open space. And we were kind of redefined the term by creating the fully enclosed gas, glass office. And, you know, is now, I mean, co-working has really become a thing, so to speak, you know, a, a full fledged launch industry over the last 10 years. And you were at the very beginning.
1: You were too. If you yeah. were, if you were one of the first, that was around 2010 too, right? At February, February 2010. Yep. And you've, you've seen it change so much because I, I've heard, I heard the story of WeWork on how I built this and mm-hmm. I listened to that and I thought, man, that's so similar. Right. And I think everybody that started around that time had a very similar experience where we were really about how do we, how do we come out of this recession together? How do we help each other? Um, grow, like, what exists at that time was not actually helping each other, helping businesses grow together. Sure. Um, but I was uh, the art director at the Arizona Republic, which is a newspaper out here, and, you know, newspapers have been suffering for a while, and in 2009, they had basically shut down all of the publications um, that they were running outside of the newspaper, but I was on the magazine department, and so they shut down my magazine, and I just, I just had a moment of like should I start my own business or should I go look for something else and um I spent a day kind of thinking about it and I decided to start my own business and that was eco eco um eco studio Studio. the design agency um and so I was working on that and I was working in my home office like much like most people now are right like forced to work at home at that point it was a requirement because I just didn't have money to like put it in an office um nor did i really need it uh so i was i had an extra room i built out my little home office and i loved it and then i started like the work started to pick up and i was finding that um i needed to hire on staff and i actually brought on a couple interns but they were coming to my house and you know it seemed like it might have been fine but after a while i realized like it's not you're hearing my daughter yell at alexa right now (laughs) um yeah. so anyways um I was at home and I just had this realization that I was um Ada can you turn it down it's actually blocked it out pretty well you're pretty loud for us okay so, for whatever so um so we I, I was around all these interns and I was realizing that I wasn't growing um I was needing more than what like I was learning from an intern, um, nothing against them. They were great, but they were there to learn from me. And I wasn't really, I wasn't really, I wasn't expanding. And so I actually went out to look for other people um, who would help me move through this journey. And I could find them here or there, but I would pick people's brains and coffee shops and they would give me weird stares and, and not really want to talk. And so I, I thought, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to do it? And to start, it was really just financially, how could I afford a space when I'm only a small business? And I was, I'm also, like I said, I'm an immigrant or I come from an immigrant family. And so I grew up in a very scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. Um, saved very well, was very much about like, I only spend what I have in my pocket. And so when I was thinking about um, like building or renting an office, the numbers just didn't pan out, and there was nothing small, like teeny tiny um the The smallest they had was like a thousand square feet um, and I, all I was looking for was myself and two other people potentially yeah. and I didn't want to be there all the time either and then the alternative was executive suites. <laughs> I went and I toured one and they they aren't what they are now, um, but I was incredibly defeated after seeing an executive suite yeah. um, so I went around and I looked for a physical space and tried to figure out how I could make it work. And this idea popped in of like, what if I just shared space? I wanna be around other people. What if I just created a shared space? We would split the rent. And again, like co-working didn't exist in our city yet. There was a similar concept um, way out East, but it was a free space. It was essentially one business had extra space and they just opened it up for free. So it was more of like a community center, which is similar, but like the financial model wouldn't work in the, the capital city of Arizona, right? Like there's no place that like would have a business that would be able to do that, nor would a city sponsor it at that time. Cause it was so new. And so um, I was like, how do I make this work? And it was just that shared space model. But once I got the first, um, I remember really clearly, I, I got a list of people that um, from a friend where I was like, Does, do you know anybody that might be interested in this concept that I'm thinking of? And she gave me a list of six people. And the first one on the list was I Googled him and and he was like, incredibly impressive. This published author, like the leader in UX experience, user experience. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to talk to that guy first. (laughs) And so the next person on the list was this like amazing designer, web developer, and looked at his website and he was just had this incredibly like friend, friendly, welcoming persona online and so i gave him a call just out of the blue and i was sitting in front of a building that i really that i really wanted to make happen and it was a 2500 square foot building
0: mm. and i said
1: what do you think could this i just explained i spent 30 minutes explaining this whole idea that didn't have a name to it like it wasn't called co-working we didn't call it cahoots yet it was just this idea of like shared space bringing people together helping each other and he was quiet for a little bit, and he's like, I really dig it. I, I've been trying to do something like this for a while. I've been meeting wow. people at coffee shops. What like, this in would be?
0: 2010 was this?
1: This was in, it was like June 2010.
0: Yeah, yeah so um, things like that were already happening here in New York City, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. It was happening all throughout, um, but just not in our city, so I I didn't have I didn't have it on my radar at all. And I didn't know what it was called, right? Like, I didn't know it was called co-working. Um, And so brought him in. And again, it was like the middle of the recession. And I think we were very fortunate. I talked to the landlord and I worked out this weird deal where I said, hey, I'm going to build the whole thing and I'll manage the whole thing. And the space had been empty for like, I don't know, four years before we Mm -hmm. even came along. And I said, why don't you let us in this? We'll do a revenue share. We'll, we'll be partners, right? We didn't put a partnership agreement together or anything, but we'll be partners. You get all the revenue. I'll just manage it. Give me a free space and you'll be profitable. And I put like a business plan together for him. I said, you'll be profitable by the end of the year. And um, he was in it for the first three months. And then I think like just budgets got really tight and he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't see this as a profitable opportunity. And so Mm -hmm. he said either sign a lease or get out and at that point i had six members i needed 12 to break even Mm -hmm. and um i talked to those 12 or talked to those six members and they said yep well we'll hang in there let's see how we can do this and then within two months we were at 12 members and breaking even and then it snowballed from there oh my
0: gosh and so that's amazing and how many members do you have now or what's the max capacity there
1: We are at 250 members, and we're probably I mean, we can probably get to like, 400 if we wanted to amazing. Good for you. Congratulations.
0: (laughs) Um, So another something I want you to elaborate on for us cohoots, you say and I see it everywhere. It's a purpose driven workplace. You know, we were we workspace, we were, uh, my assistant was actually going to put that into one of our um, stories when we put up the interview. And I said, I don't. Want to, I hate to use the word generic, but I said purpose driven. I you need to hear from the founder what that means to you to really understand purpose driven. So, can you elaborate on that for us?
1: Yeah, we're really focused on inclusion and equity in our workspace, right? Um, what when we looked at other spaces and what we wanted to do? And <coughs> sorry, my allergies are going a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and where I'm really rooted, um, it comes from, like I said, like generations of being in uh, a very diverse world, right? Um, sure. My family, the people that I'm around, I didn't necessarily grow up in a very diverse, like, school or anything. <clears throat> but I saw the discrepancies between, like, what, what we had, what people that looked like us had, Um, what opportunities we had and how hard they were to get versus people who come from privilege. Right. And it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think one of the biggest things that allowed us to shift and have more opportunities was building a business. And I look back at my parents' journey through this whole process of building their business of 40 years and how like at some points I was their translator. At some point I was like helping them navigate new technologies and all of these things that I had to help them with and the barriers that came with that. And if they had had those resources earlier on, how much further they would be versus having to struggle and scrape by year after year after year until it really wasn't until year 35, right? I'm 35 years old. They started the business. I'm 38 years old, but at 35 years old, um, they had this business for like 36 years. They had it a year before I was born. Mm -hmm. It took them 35, 36 years for it to finally get stable and be successful. And so I think could, like, had they had these resources, had they learned how to do taxes earlier, had they um, put up a website earlier, knew how to like maneuver through this point of sale system faster, right? Like if they had those people that were helping them get, get a little bit further ahead, they would be, They would be so much further along and I mean the the business allowed us all three of us to go to college and be the first to graduate those kinds of things are a lifestyle business but it created so much wealth for us in terms of like a future for future generations but imagine where they could have been like they wouldn't have had to work as hard as they worked, right? And, and a part of it is that's required as an entrepreneur. You have to have that grit. You have to go through some of those things. But I also think it takes people who don't have those resources and people who aren't used to <clears throat> asking for those things, who have the cultural and language barriers. It takes them so much more time and so much more work to just be able to access the attorney that you need access to sure. Figure out this agreement, right? Like within their circle, they just don't have that readily available. Because if you think about it, you you invite friends to the to the party that you know, right? And you ask people for help that you know. And if the people you know are all also immigrants, then they also don't know anybody that <clears throat> that works in in entrepreneurship. They've sure. or that works in attorney work, right? Um, and so they have to break out of that cycle. I often related to, and we're of the age that like remembers this. I don't think any um, Gen Zers would know this, but like the, is it the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or the seven degrees of Kevin six Bacon? Degrees, yeah, <clears throat> the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. That's what I related to. Or like um, a friend was talking about like food deserts. It's the same as like entrepreneur deserts, right? Like you. As an entrepreneur only know what's around you and the people that you know and in order for you to break that cycle you need to actively try to break it um and that's not something that most people have to do um and so cahoots has always been in that space of like this is what we're here specifically to raise you up we're here to create an inclusive workspace so that everybody who walks through our doors feels welcomed and that they belong here. Because most people that start start the entrepreneurial journey have never done it before and also don't know anybody that has done it. And so you walk into our space and we're here directly to help you, right? Like that means when we walk you around, we're actively trying to figure out what your barriers are and what your challenges are. And before you leave, we want to leave you with a resource, right? Um, so <clears> on top purpose, of that. So the,
0: so the purpose-driven part of it is really to support the, the, entre- the entrepreneurs and the businesses that come into your space.
1: Yep, yeah, and create and make sure that it's inclusive, right? Um, there's yeah. tons of organizations that are support, entrepreneur support organizations. Um, But there's not very many that pair that with the through the lens of a person of color or as a woman, right? Like those are those are the things that I am. And so I'm very lucky to have a business that is something that would serve myself would serve me, right? And not very many business owners. um, You're you're technically not supposed to do that, (laughs) because it's super weighted. But uh, we get to we get to meet with people and and see the challenges firsthand and I feel them firsthand, right? Like, and I know that journey, I know what it's like to come through um, as an underrepresented entrepreneur or as a woman to walk into a room with your staff and have the people at the table think you are the assistant, right? I know that journey or going to the bank and saying, I don't know how, like what kind of papers I need to apply for this loan And um, you're going to have to walk me through that. Like, that's an uncomfortable thing that makes people not even want to go to the bank, right? Um, But this is the beauty of of co-working.
0: I mean, this is the beauty of our business is that it's a... It's the infrastructure. And for me, you know, when I got into it 10 years ago, it co-working WeWork was the physical iteration of what I had already been doing for four or five years previously in a global business networking organization called BNI, which stands for Business Network International. And mm-hmm. I had been president and, and the leader of, of what became the largest chapter in the country, fourth largest in the world. And we had, you know, weekly I led a meeting that had 72 different, business professionals that got together for an hour and a half to learn about each other to see how we could lean into each other for, for support. And that's what I'm hearing about your space, but, but that the leadership um, and the purpose, again, going back to, to your mission statement, so to speak, is, is to really create this cohesive, inclusive, connected community where there's opportunity sooner than what you would have, of course, if you were out there on your own. Um, And Mm -hmm. not not a part of Kahoot. So I'm going to jump to the next question or else, uh, sister, you could see we're at 538 here on the Eastern. We could talk for an hour and a half, you and I, I could hear. Um, So next question, what's been the biggest challenge over the last 10 years that you can share with us? Because I know I've only been in business five years and I have a long list of challenges I could share.
1: (laughs) But what's one? I I think the challenge that has been the hardest for me to overcome is finding the right people and and me also growing to learn to be a better manager, right? Um, and I, I think I've kind of hit my stride now, but it took me a lot of people. It took me a, <clears throat> a lot of hard conversations from staff telling me how I need to be a manager because I didn't go to school for that, right? Like I went to school for journalism and global studies and management was not one of those things. Um, and I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a good leader I might be a mediocre manager, um, and so there's a lot of a lot of learning in that process mm-hmm. that has happened through people management. And I don't think it's ever my dream to be a people manager. I will never be an HR. I'm just like. I'm, I'm not built for that. It
0: takes a certain type of person.
1: <laughs> and so what I've learned, though, is, like, I keep trying to be better, but I've also learned to surround myself with people who are better at that than I am. Um, my husband is an incredible people, per se, and, and super empathetic. And um, I also have uh, operations COO that is an incredible piece, people person and knows how to wrangle it and communicate things in the way that people want to be, uh, talk to. Yeah. And I'm just, that's probably one of my, my biggest faults is that I struggle with the words. The I'm like, you're saying the same thing as I am, but you are definitely saying it differently and it's working <laughs> because the response is different. Um, but the, so thing that we learned, but, the, but the thing we learn is that we can't be, we have to know our
0: strengths. I think in being great leadership is knowing your strengths and being able to take responsibility, which is the first thing you did and saying the challenge is to find great people. But I've also had a responsibility in that I need to identify where my weaknesses are as a manager. Uh, yes. And, and, and again, if be, being a manager is not what you want to focus on, nor is it your potential strengths. Then in service of the business and therefore the bigger community, it's not what you should focus on, right? I think that. Thank that you. I, yeah. <laughs> but, but literally, I, I think that that's been the biggest learning for me too, to be able to say, this is not my strength and skill set. I need you to do this, you know, it's, it's my or just acknowledge right when I'm honestly, I'm not inspired to do this. Can you help me with yes. it? asking for help from the team and not having to have this preconceived notion that as the boss, we have to do it all. Because yes. it also then blocks the opportunity for someone else to rise to the occasion, I think. Next question. You have a shirt that I've seen in numerous of your posts. that says the future is female. I know you were at a women's March, by the way, women's March had offices with us at primary for probably a year and a a half or so. Um, What are some of the greatest learnings that you've had as a woman in business?
1: Um, I've learned a lot from my mother and my grandmother um, in that I think a lot of people um, underestimate women. And for the longest time, I've gotten super like ragey against that. Like, oh, why, why do you always expect this of me? And now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, kind of, I, I, I kind of approach it like Arya Stark from Game of Thrones where it's like, okay, go ahead and underestimate me, but I have you on my list, right? And I'm gonna come back and you're gonna see what what I can really do. And so I've said this a lot and I know one of your questions further down is like, what, what would I tell a young person today is like when you run into those instances where um, people are underestimating you, use it as your fire. Like, let that be the thing that like fires you up to do it even better. Um, mm. Mm. Spite is a great <laughs> is a great tool, is a great motivator. Yeah. Um, and so um, that is one of the things that I've learned. But in terms of like the future is female, I think there's so much. There's so much um, power in like the The challenges of growing up as a woman, right, like not in a negative way it 's different right like we we grew up very differently, but and because of that there 's so much strength in that mm. um, like we we are taught to be to be like calmer like to to address situations in different ways, and I think we 've for a long time said men and women aren 't different, and I think this is the same approach with people of color right like we've said we're colorblind right like it's good to be colorblind but the reality is these are all strengths like we grew up in an environment i grew up in a very asian environment where it was all about achievement and it was all about like doing it yourself like don't let anybody stop you and uh and build that wealth right like you need you need all of these things but and that's very different um than what probably other people go through and it's not also a detriment either right like it's a strength to grow up in that way it's different we I grew up in a restaurant I learned like work ethics super early on um and I think other kids and other families look at that kind of like pitiful right like this girl didn't get to have a childhood right but I was with my family more than probably most of them were right um and so there's there's opportunities to see it as a negative but in the end I think all of these really hard experiences make us really strong and women grow up kind of in a hard in a very very hard challenging way right like even just naturally right like the things we put our body through is incredibly painful and no dude could ever survive that right so those kinds of things... Can I get an
0: amen from any of the people <laughs> listening in right now, please? <laughs> those
1: kinds of things just make us so much stronger, and we've suppressed her for so long. There's this little video out there that I loved. It was it was like a short called Pearl, and it's a little ball of yarn. I don't know if you saw that. It's a little oh. ball of yarn that goes to work in a male-dominated society, and mm-hmm. she like tries to fit in, and eventually she turns into like a dude. Like, she wears a straight coat and she tries to do all these things and then realizes that's not who she is trying to fit in to what the male structure of work looks like she's also not letting she's she's a part of the problem and being like a barrier for more women to enter and so there's a part of me that loves this idea of being of, of of women who are really strong and there's tons of women that have been really strong before me paving this incredible path for us and we just need to keep widening that path until like we find this incredible middle ground where we have a workplace that's welcoming to women and to people of color and like sees that all of their strengths are this huge benefit versus versus the view that we often see now of like oh great we have this woman how now we have to put in like Tampons in the bathroom—that sucks, right? Like, well, you know what you get with that tampon—you
0: right. get this fiery warrior. person, a yes.
1: warrior.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> and strong, a hundred percent. Women are fierce. <laughs> I am certainly on that wagon with you, amen, girlfriend.
1: <laughs> um, and and even if you look at like the reports that I know, I'm going way over the reports that are out there. Like, look at how women leaders have dealt with covid compared to your male leaders oh, right yeah. Oh, um, yeah.
0: oh yeah countries are survive are, are you know recovering exponentially faster in the female led countries around the world yeah i mean same with the last financial crisis iceland i think had massively quicker recovery than a lot of the rest of um, you know the world and so uh, yes Yes to that. Yes to women. <laughs> Girlfriend, the future is female. Or, you know, I'll tell you that one of my, my best friends is a transformational feminist coach. That's how she, she <laughs> coins herself. And she talks about an, a leveling of the playing field, so to speak, that for so long we've been flying with one arm with the, you know, being led by the patriarchy. And really it's just about being in balance and using both. We're bringing women into the conversations, into the boardrooms, into the decision making process because we think differently than men. We are maternal. We are, we are resilient. We are different. And, and that should be celebrated. Um, mm-hmm. So what are some of the special ingredients that it takes to have the number one, most innovative coworking space in the world?
1: You know, a lot of people have asked me that. And I was like, I have no idea how they chose that, but um, I'm honored. I think, I think one of the biggest things is we've always like, we are so close to our customers. Like we, we live it, we breathe it. I don't think there's anyone out there that can say they're more passionate about entrepreneurship and equity and entrepreneurship than I am. Um, you, because feel I it, can be. you
0: feel it in your feed, by the way, go to call, call <laughs> with PHX here, guys. It is, I mean, there are people everywhere and, and people is what we is what brings life right into, into mm-hmm. work, into the workplace, into creativity, initiatives, everything.
1: And it's, it's it's all the little things, right? Um, I wish I could say it's just we did this one thing, but it's not. It's all the little things. It's the, like, the photos we put on our website, like, the constant conversations and training of our staff to say, no, please make sure that, like, when we post on social media, we're talking about the people, right? Like, spend the time to do interviews of our members and share their stories, right? Spend the time to get Mm -hmm. to know our members. Mm -hmm. When a woman or a person of color walks in through our doors, pay extra special attention to those people. And other people will say, like, there's this whole debate around affirmative action, right? And I don't care, right? Like, those are the people that have barriers that are unseen right now, and we need to spend time on that. Um, And so it's all of those little things from, like, when you walk in your response, when somebody requests a tour, right? Like how fast you pick up a phone and how you answer their questions. Mm-hmm. And it's probably my um, Asian background of being highly motivated to create exceptional work, <laughs> <Detail or I laughs> unattainable for most people that um, has caused one, my people problem, not other people. It's my problem. <laughs> I've learned to like, I've learned to like, let it go. Um, but I think it's all of those little things, right? Like the attention to making sure that we're humans to other humans, right? You're not Mm -hmm. coming to us and you're not a robot. We're not here for just your money. If we were like, like we would treat you like crap. And so there's, there's a lot of that that has come from learning how to do customer service and how to truly care for other people from growing up in a restaurant where you Mm -hmm. constantly are in service of customers. Um, So I think I think it's all of those and really an attention to being an inclusive an inclusive space which means like every like every person of color every woman is paid attention to not that we don't care about your middle class white men they are an important part of this they are the allies that make this all possible mm-hmm. but knowing that when George Floyd stuff happens we need to pay attention to our black members right like knowing when immigration issues are happening. We need to elevate the challenges that our members and our companies that serve those communities uh, were an extension of that. And one of the things I think about a lot is, you know, on the Twitter feeds, people always say, this tweet is not a reflection of this company that I work for, right? I would like for that to change like if that one thing could change if every person instead of saying this this twitter feed is not a reflection of my company because that's legal jargon for i i don't want to like if if i say something wrong my company is going to be affected by it right when can we build companies where your employees don't feel like they have to do that where like the alignment for what your values are and what you believe in is completely in sync with your company and so, I've started like changing those messages to be like, everything I say is a complete reflection of how my company is run, right? Like, I don't need I don't need a buffer here, right? Like, wow. if I say that Black Lives Matters, that's gonna be reflected on our our feed as well. Um, oh, it's, it's believes the same. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that.
0: I love it. Okay. Um, okay, So um, last question. Well, you know what? In the interest of time, I'm going to ask the last question here. We're going to go to a lightning round. What's the best thing to happen to you this year?
1: Oh man. Um, I think the best thing to happen to me this year is again with people. um, Mm. We brought on um, two amazing staff members that have really challenged me to think differently and allowed me to let go of things that, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I've always held things, right, like, overprotective, and um, they've done a really good job of helping me through that process of letting go and trusting them and really moving our organization forward, right? Like, I, I think... I wish that I had learned that sooner. Um, So I brought in the COO and my husband is also amazing and he's been with us through this whole journey, but the CEO has come on and helped me manage this entire team. And Chelsea, I don't know if she's listening here, um, is an amazing, amazing project manager and community manager. And just like those two combined has really helped our business grow, right? Like helped me think in different ways, helped us figure out how to, go through this COVID situation and it truly feels like the right people are in the mix and we're, we all know what we're doing and we're in that thriving phase, right? Even though we're technically closed and we're trying yeah. to figure out how we continue to grow, right? Like we're in a hard time, but I feel like we have the people around us that are going to make, make it all okay. Okay hundred percent. I
0: love it. Look at that. So it's almost like you've come full circle. It's the, it's the challenge and it's the celebration also. See, ya? See So how I can retire
1: now. Yeah, I love it. There you
0: go. Shoot. Yes. Retire by 40. Huh. Um, okay. Uh, are you ready for our lighting round questions? Yep. All right. Here we go. Number one, Jenny, rename the coronavirus.
1: Oh, shoot. I know you told me that. I was going to say something like the fire virus or something like an ode to the the fire festival because it's been such a shit show like with the oh leadership gosh, Lily, and- <laughs> Lily
0: told me I have to watch that I think right Y R E, right fire I mean, yeah. she's the one I'm pretty sure that telling you watch fire yeah that it's crazy yeah okay best advice you've ever gotten
1: uh my mom says this all the time and that's you can't take any of this with you when you die so like make every moment count and like give all your stuff away. Like none of none of what you buy is gonna come with you. So, if my husband, is listening, he loves that one.
0: Um, where are you turning for inspiration right now? Not related to you. People, if it's a person I, not related to you, what what do you mean by that? Are you not turning to books? Are you turning to podcasts? Are you turning to, you know, Oprah? Yeah, I mean, like, where are you turning for for inspiration right now for yourself? <laughs>
1: Um, I do do a lot of podcasts and I do a lot of Twitter, like I mm-hmm. follow a lot on Twitter. I really like, um, I don't know if you guys follow, if you follow Victor Huang, um, mm-hmm. he used to be at Kauffman foundation. He just launched a new initiative called the right to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've been listening to, um, the podcast, a few different podcasts. Um, how I built this is always a favorite, of course. uh, like Code Switchers um, and, and PR is one that oh. I started. And it's been around for a while. And I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that I didn't do this before because I'm a past journalist as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a bunch of jur- journalists of color talking about all different topics, but a lot, a lot around um, racial equity right now. So Awesome. Um,
0: are you an early bird or
1: a night owl? I'm a little bit of both. Um, I'm more of an early bird now. Okay. Yeah, I didn't used to what be. time?
0: What time are you waking up?
1: Um, I wake up around 530.
0: Oh, that's an early word.
1: Yes. What's your,
0: what's your favorite word?
1: Oh, um, um, probably it's not my favorite. I do say that a lot. Uh, I don't know. I, I cannot pass on that one. When people think
0: of you, is there a word that they think of? You know, people think a lot, a few people tease me because I use the word abundance a lot. Is there a word? Oh, I definitely, abundance is (laughs) not.
1: Um, uh, I I guess I use fiery a, a lot. I use fiery. I call women pretty fiery. Yeah. I like that. Good. Your
0: favorite automation tool for streamlining work?
1: You're an automation
0: nut, Debi. Yeah. yeah, my husband also a big fan of that. Um, your favorite ranch flavored food? I heard you're a big <gasps> ranch flavored anything fan. So what do you eat that's ranch flavored that you love the most?
1: There's a uh, Pringles ranch flavored. Which is really, really good. Yeah, awesome. and best- it's not sour cream. Don't get that mixed up with sour cream. Ranch. It's a ranch version. Yeah, thank you Cremble. for the distinction. All right, mm-hmm. great. Best TV show or movie that you've watched during quarantine? Um, I, I picked up Killing Eve. Oh, I watched um, the Korean one. Um, the one that won whatever best film last year um what is it called What's what it is about? it called uh it's about it's a show a or korean movie? family it's a movie it's a oh. korean family chelsea what is it Yo, chelsea's I on here this, I like the, well
0: my husband will know this too it's the murder one or, or yes, something yes. that happens right it's like yes a thriller kind of right yeah parasite parasite, with there a, we go. parasite, parasite. yes that's I it.
1: I need to yep. watch it.
0: Oh, yeah, there we go. Thank oh, you. That's a
1: mind bender. Oh, my yeah. gosh, I have to watch
0: it. Okay, last two questions. Like, biggest hot topic in the time of Corona is toilet paper. Of course, Jenny, do you pull over or under? I think
1: I pull over. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever paid attention. That's a thing. <laughs> Learn, is
0: it, Oprah Winfrey had an entire show about toilet paper and pulling over under. Yep. All <laughs> right, last question. 2020 or 2021? 2021 for sure you're done you're like oof. next yeah yeah it's it's ready ready for the clean slate i feel you yeah thank you so much for giving us all this time i mean unbelievable the the you know the effervescence that you have as it relates to or the the passion that you have for the experience that you create and and possibilities that you create for your membership it's obviously reflected in your decade of success. So thank you so thank much you. again for for yeah, ha- having your business exist, for sharing your time with us here. Equity Now is the initiative that you're launching. Thank you for sharing that with us here. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. And Jenny, I wish you continued success and health and safety as you move through the rest of this year, through the clean slate to 2021. You as well. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks,
1: guys. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.